7.04 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500. 1,500? Five-star five Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Well, if you weren't awake before, you are now. Too much? Oh. Too much? It's pretty too much too pretty loud much. for 7 in the morning. coming too hot there? It's too much. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry for yelling. I'm just an excited guy. I love being on the radio. I love talking about the Canucks in spurts. Uh, 7 o'clock hour is underway. Jeremy Colleton, former coach of the Chicago Blackhawks, current coach of the Canucks AHL affiliate in Abbotsford. And they're cooking in Abbotsford right now, let me tell you. Uh, he's going to join us at 7.30. Uh, I'm very curious to talk to the guy. He's got a really interesting backstory, obviously. The time in Chicago, I, I'm sure most of you are aware, but the, for those that are unaware, uh, he was basically the same age as Brent Seabrook when he took over that job. Yeah. right. That's got to be a weird dynamic, right? Where you're mm. not even older than one of your defensemen that you have to play because he he's actually, got an onerous contract. He actually couldn't even grow a mustache like Joel Quenville. <laughs> That's true. He had to. He was too in, young. He had to inherit the chair. He had to wear a fake one. He's like, and then could like, you imagine? That yeah. lost him a lot of respect <laughs> yeah. in the room. You're wearing a fake mustache. You're not doing this ironically. Anyway, he took over from Joel Quenville, who um, it's it's hard to put into context the Quenville scenario because of how it ended, and then the aftermath with the Kyle Beach scenario, and obviously, oh, he and and Jeremy Colton was kind of left alone in some ways to answer questions for the organization at the right. time. So there, so the whole dynamic in Chicago from taking the job at such a young age to having to take over from a coaching legend to having to end being embroiled in a scenario that he had nothing to do with, fascinating conversation to have there. And then, of course, what he's doing with Abbotsford this year. When you were away uh, in those first couple of shows in January, we talked to Chris Faber from Canucks Army, who, of course, is really dialed in with what's going on in Abbotsford. And he was very complimentary of the style of play, the coaching job that Colton had implemented, how a lot of the young guys had responded. And if you look, uh, they're getting really good performances from a lot of different guys in a lot of different positions on that team, right? Um, Arthur Silovs and Net has been good. I'm, Laddie, what's, the, what's your report on Silovs? I know you're not super high on him as a prospect. But the play that he's had this year has been very good. Yeah, his his numbers aren't really that amazing. They're they're pretty league average for the AHL. But the team itself it, it seems to be very structured in front of him, which isn't usually the case in the AHL. Usually, yeah. you go from the AHL, which is unstructured, to the NHL environment, which is structured. And sometimes it can actually be easier for some of the goaltenders. But I don't think that'll be the case for Silovs. Very interested to see how he would fare in, in an NHL environment because it's it's getting to that point now where. We're, you want to see a look at this guy. So we'll talk to Jeremy Colton coming up at 730. Uh, we could whip around the NHL. There is some Canucks stuff that the insiders are throwing out there now as we get closer and closer to the NHL trade deadline. Right? We're just I think we're about 51 days away now. So you've got the, you know, Elliot Friedman's and Pierre Lebrun's starting to make their calls in and around the league. I think the general consensus in listening to the the big picture stuff is that uh calls are 
increasing throughout the league. And Vancouver has so many guys that teams would want to call on. Yeah. Beginning with the high-profile guys like Horvat, second-tier guys like Kuzmenko. Uh, it was uh, Pierre Lebrun who threw out there yesterday that he's hearing that teams are calling more and more on Kuzmenko for obvious reasons, the cap hit being chief among them. And then I think as you go further and further along, you'll start to see, well, almost anybody, right? What defensemen could be pride available? Are they going to part ways with Luke Shen? I guess for our purposes leading up into that trade deadline, uh, one, it's going to be something closely to monitor, and two, it's going to become the focal point of a lot of our conversations because, as you said in the early stages of this show, talking about another Canucks loss in Pittsburgh, it's getting harder and harder to get worked up about the day-to-day results because in a vacuum they might matter, but collectively this season's just not going the way that a lot of people thought it was going to. I thought it was interesting that um, Freed threw out the possibility of Horvat to the Seattle Kraken. Yeah. And he said, that's why I wonder about Seattle, um, because he was wondering if there are a few teams that we haven't considered. Of course, the number one team, I think, that we all wonder about is Bo, is, is, Bo Horvat, is Colorado. I think so. Um if only because they haven't really replaced Nazem Kadri. Right? Yep. No, that's so exactly that would be that would be the replacement for it's Kadri. It's the most obvious paint by numbers answer. Where it's like, well, they need a two C. They yeah. won a cup last year with great two C play. There's Bo Horvat. You connect the dots. But as Fridge writes, uh, GM Ron Francis told Jeff Merrick on Tuesday that he wants to reward the players responsible for this year's improvement and not throw a grenade in the dressing room, but they need a center. Uh, the big question is going to be if the Canucks allow anyone to talk contract with Horvat beforehand. So first of all, let's, let's break this down into two areas here. Number one, what about Seattle as a potential destination for Bo Horvat? Now down the middle, they've got one spot covered and probably for a long time in Matty Beneers. He looks great. I think Alexander Winberg might be their second line center right now. That is correct. Uh, Yanni Gord gets a twirl there. The reason I wouldn't mind that. Well, well, hold on, hold on. Just, just, just working through it. He's working through it. Let me, let me work through it. The process is happening. I do wonder if they have watched Shane Wright play a little bit and gone. We still like Shane, but we think he might be a little ways away. I think there. That's a very, very accurate assessment. So maybe you bring in Bo Horvat. As uh, a mentor for those types of players, like even a mentor for Matty Beneers. Sure. Because is Matty Beneers going to be the future? Do, does Seattle even have a captain? I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, do they have a captain? I- they just got A's, no They've C's. Just, yeah, they're, they're, so there's no C, right? There's four A's. So maybe as just, it just says a role model, but also because they need a center. You, you know, it, like you insulate Matty Beneers with yeah. Bo Horvat. Makes so, sense. I think there's a, a semblance of possibility there for Seattle to be interested in Bo Horvat. Um, what could they give up in return? I don't know. I don't really want to get into that right now because who knows what they could give up in return. Um, but this last part where Fridge writes, the big question is going to be if the Canucks allow anyone to talk contract with Horvat beforehand. Now, we went through this with JT Miller. And for the life of me, I'm going to need the, the help of the listeners here. Okay. For the life of me, I don't understand why the Canucks would not allow that if that would help juice the return that they could get for a player like Bo Horvat. Because Seattle 
isn't going to look at Horvat and go, we see this guy as a pure rental. Right? I get that Seattle's had a good season and maybe they want to. But the price for Horvat is going to be so extreme that I don't think they're going to sit there and go, yeah, we're looking for a rental like Bo Horvat. I don't think anyone's looking at the Kraken right now and going, they got a chance to win the cup. They just got to get a, you know, maybe another center and like they can make a real run at this thing. So why would the Canucks be hesitant if they've decided to trade Bo Horvat? Why would they be hesitant to allow his agent to talk with the Kraken about a potential extension? Right. There? So we're asking, I don't we're asking the listeners here, like explain it to us like we're five years old. Cause I don't, I don't really understand it. I talked about this yesterday. The Canucks should do whatever it is in their power to maximize return on Horvat. So if that means a team is like, well, he's fine as a rental, but we're really interested in him as a rental plus, plus, plus. And we want to know what it's going to cost. Then they should be like, okay, here's his agent's business card. And if you can't get a hold of him, here's the backup agent's business card. And then if you can't get a hold of him, here's his dad's phone number. So like the, they, should be, they should be moving heaven and earth to do it. I remember from the JT Miller conversation that we had last season about this topic, what we concluded, and whether this is right or wrong, I don't know, was that the Canucks might have been worried that the price that Miller, or Horvat in this case, is going to ask for is going to be so extreme that it would shock the potential acquiring team into making into bailing out on that move. Sure. And right? Yeah, and some teams could pull the wool over your eyes, right? They could just be on a fact-finding mission or an information-finding mission. Let's talk to the agent and having little to no intent on actually trying to sign the guy. Those things do happen. Make no mistake. So I, there's one. There's a, there's a reason why. Is that some teams could be scared off by the, the sticker shock. Or maybe Horvat's already made up his mind that he's going to July 1. You don't, maybe you don't want to play that card. Maybe you don't want that out on the table. So there's one. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that the Canucks still want to keep Bo Horvat. There's another one. I don't know. Maybe, you know, as someone someone texts in here, because if they planned on keeping him for eight million and Seattle said, We'll give you ten, then he could use it against them in negotiations. Sure. All these That's things possible, yep. I suppose. Yep. Yeah. The it's funny. I because... mean, it's just controlling the process, controlling the information. But Maybe that's where the Canucks have to just make a decision about whether and and say, all right, we're not going to keep you, right, and come to that conclusion. And maybe this is where they struggle with JT Miller. Yeah, they're like ah, entirely you know, possible. Like, I don't really want you to go and talk contract with this team because we still want to keep you. And we hear more and more now from guys like Sat. I think Sat pegged the chances at sixty percent, the Canucks trade Horvat and forty percent they keep him. 40% to keep them for me, like, that's pretty high. I, I didn't have it a, that high. No, I know. And I, it feels. How do they keep them, though? I don't Explain know. Explain to me. I don't I know. I don't get this. Unless he really, really, money. Really, Where's really, this phantom really, money well, coming here's from? Trade, 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 trade Besser, trade Garland, trade. Can uh, get rid of Tyler. Well, who knows, man? They're trying. Here's They're trying. The, the way I say they, they could is if he really, 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 really wants to stay here. In yeah. which case, that they'll get a nice hometown discount or haircut deal. And in which case, then they can say, okay, we got him for under market value. That's a positive. Mm -hmm. Now we move on clearing some of these other guys out. That's the only way. I would put the – but knowing nothing, and certainly far less than what Sat knows about the situation, I'd put it at 70% that he goes. <laughs> just because it's, nice, it's a nicer number. But, you know, you know, it's funny that this gets mentioned 
we throw out the questions so that we can engage with the, the listeners. That's a radio trick. But also, it's important to get everybody's thoughts on where this might go because we're talking with hypotheticals when it comes to Horvat and the agent reaching out. The There is uh, the sort of dark arts of the NHL when it comes to the executive level of what like, everyone's like, what are they really trying to get out of this when you have conversations? Are this a legitimate conversation or am I being snowed over? You know, I've heard anecdotally a lot of times that coaches have been brought in to interview for head coaching positions. And when they leave, they're like, I had no chance of getting that job. They just wanted to pick my brains for two hours to right. figure out what they want to know or what they want to find out about their organization. Yeah, the Canucks are going to interview a bunch of coaches and be like, how do you play defense? Yeah, now when you're playing against us, <laughs> is it hard or is it easy? Like that, those, this is what you can do. And it can be under the guise of, yeah, we're really interested. But the reality of it is, is we're really interested in finding out more that'll benefit our own situation. If, so, it, if it meant moving... Garland and Besser, and then they sign Bill. Let's pretend that happens. Would you guys be okay with that? Sure. No, no. Sure. You would no. rather Horvat no. two be the out, one? two no. out. Yeah, no. I take no. that. I want them to move on. So move on from. Them. So, but no. but if that means keeping Besser yeah, and Garland, you would prefer. Oh no! I'm no, saying no, if no, you had no, to pick no. one or the we other, you get rid of two guys. You'd, obviously, you'd rather them get rid of all of them. But the I'm just math. saying, if one of the two things happens, would you rather Horvat stick around? Can I get rid of two guys? Leaving me with these options because I want to hear your answer. Yeah. Then I guess I would take the guy who's scoring a bunch of goals okay. right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah you keep not, the and, one guy and get and, rid of the two guys. And not the guys who look not like close to of out of the league at this point half the time. Yeah. Garland I mean, looked like a snipe. Garland and Besser scored last night. Of course, both of them were on Casey DeSmith. So mm-hmm. that knocks it down. How shocked were I didn't know Dustin Did Skarsky Casey was... DeSmith have a few cocktails before the I don't game know what was He's like, he showed up and he was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm starting? God, I've been drinking since 11. They he got, looked oh, awful. Oh, God, Jari's hurt. I forgot. Wearing a bathrobe. <laughs> they got Smoking cigar. Yeah, they got him out of there in a hurry. You just described Tony Soprano, basically. (laughs) That was good. Um, They got him out of there in a real hurry yesterday. Because the thing was, is like I said, I was watching the game. I said, if he allows one more, he's out of there. And the Hughes goal so bad. The Hughes goal was the worst of the lot. The one Mm, I I thought Garland's was bad. Yeah, Garland looked like sprightly though on that one, and he kind of made a nice move on the defenseman. Like at least there was something nice about it. I like the early hook though. Well, yeah. So you know who else did? Dustin Tokarski. I didn't even that know was he was not a play. tough decision. Well, to pull him honestly, out of there. it should have been after two goals. If you're, if you as a coach, I was actually talking to a coach about this the other day. If you are able to recognize that your goalie isn't tracking the puck, just doesn't have it that game, the quicker you can get him out of there, the better. Yeah. And you saw the result yesterday. Mm-hmm. It took them three goals to do it, but they still came back within the first period. I, I, I shouldn't say I can't believe it because I can fully believe it. But can you believe it? How quickly the Penguins tied that game up. They were playing way better in the first. Period. Oh, they were. Yeah. Even though that the like the only re- the only problem with Pittsburgh, I actually had a couple problems, but Casey DeSmith was the big one. Mm-hmm. And then once they figured that out, it was smooth sailing from there. Yeah. Gino had four points last night. Gino was a machine. He out likes there. playing the Canucks. Yeah. Because they give him lots of chances to score points. Yeah. I think I thought Sid true. was really good too. Yeah. yeah. I want to say it was McKayev that gave the puck away to Gino. Like it was. It was almost like he just forgot who Malkin was for a second. Like you know that guy there, Malkin. He's he's, he's so good. He's pretty good. That, I'm glad you brought that up. Just pay attention to him. On that play, I was listening to Batch. I was walking. I like to walk now again. That's my New Year's resolution. Just okay. walk, be mm-hmm. pedestrian. Um, I was listening to Batch and Randeep on the call, and the you know Batch kind of described it as a turnover by Mikheyev. And then Randeep was talking about the great anticipatory play from Malkin. And then I think he got a, a 
glimpse of the replay. Yeah. And he's like, but it was also a bad play by McKay. McKay just turned right into the play. Yeah, yeah. right? Like, I mean, this Malcolm is. Malcolm was like, thank you. Yeah, these are the types of things like yeah. just being on the wrong side of pucks, turning the wrong way, turning into the middle of the ice as opposed to just taking it up the wall. You know, it is just, it was one thing after another with this team. And I, and I keep coming back to the question of how much would a coaching change change things? And I'm tempted to say not at all because I don't think there's a lot of defensive DNA just in most of the players. Like we went through, you know, how many quote unquote good defensemen do they have that can play defense, right? Good like, defensive defenseman is one, Luke Shen. Right. You know, Luke Shen, and then you, you look at the forwards and you're like, okay, we'll give you Petey. I think his defensive instincts are incredible. I think they're great. Um, I would have put Mikheyev into that conversation, but, you know, his puck management last night was pretty bad. Um, you know, you can say, like, I don't know, like, I don't know, who else is good defensively among the forward group? Who else? Hmm. Are you, You're going down into the Curtis Lazar to Yeah, Curtis Lazar right? does some stuff. Yeah, he does some stuff, but I don't think it's in, it's incredible in any way. Um, nope. So the one thing that always keeps me coming back to maybe a coaching change would make a difference, though, is the job that Barry Trotz did in New York with the Islanders because the Islanders, before Trotz arrived, were dreadful defensively. They were playing Doug Wade they, hockey. They like, were, just go out there and score some goals. They games. were clueless. I think they were the worst defensive team in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And then you bring in the system, you find some, obviously bring in some new players too, like yeah. around the edges, yep. but you just buy into the structure and you get told where to go. Like in a Barry Trotz type of system, there's not a lot that's left to the players. Not a lot of freelancing. No, there's there. not a lot of freedom. Yeah. Right. And, and there are things that are just not done. Like for example, one of the things that connects, constantly do is they'll um go off on a rush and they'll make a bad pass backwards yeah and then it'll go back the other way on an odd man rush if you play for barry trotz you don't do that yeah you don't know the type of thing that you do it's a calculated risk it's like that play might pay off 15 percent of the time it's the 85 percent of the time that we're worried about where it ends up in the back of our net Mm -hmm. the connects don't take those numbers into account ever like no we tried it a couple times and it worked. Yeah, right. I mean, it's always it's constant. I remember Ethan Bear in the game against God. I remember which one it was. Now I think it was after St. Louis, where he had a costly turnover that ended up in the back of the net. Mm. And he's like, "Yeah, I should have made the safer play. I should have rimmed it around the boards, but I I tried to make a different play." And there was no explanation as to why. Like he knew he shouldn't have done what he did. Yeah, but they always say that it constantly. Like yeah, I shouldn't have made that play. And then I, the next follow-up question would be like, but why did you? Because it's something you shouldn't have done. Now, uh, I want to point out that um, with regards to coaching and Boudreaux and the defensive prowess or lack thereof, um, the next three games are going to be – they could be real dicey, real dicey for this team. This isn't to say that all the other losses where they've given up five or six goals aren't weren't dicey, but right now the Canucks have, have allowed – at least five goals in three of their last four games. They gave up seven in the loss to Winnipeg, six in the loss to the Islanders, and then, of course, five last night to Pittsburgh. Coming up now, they're going to play 
in Tampa Bay on Thursday. Tampa Bay confirmed good team. Mm-hmm. They're going to play in Florida on Saturday. Florida just put up five goals against the Avalanche in Colorado. And they're a desperate team. They need to get back in the playoff race. Then no rest for the weary because on Sunday you play back-to-back and you're in Carolina. The Bolts have won. So I'm just going to run through this real quick. Tampa Bay, the Bolts have won five of their last seven. They beat Columbus 6-3 on Tuesday. So they're rolling. They're in good form going into this game on Thursday. The Panthers, who have struggled a little bit this season, have won three of their last four, including, as I mentioned, that game against Colorado in Colorado last night. Uh, they got one more game against Vegas, and then they've got Vancouver. Uh, Carolina, of these three teams, is the biggest struggle bus right now. They're, they're not in a good way right now. But that's going to be a really tough game playing on their third and four nights in the afternoon. I think they've got less than 24 hours between games, and it's Carolina, a team that came to Rogers Arena and outclassed the Canucks in a big way earlier in the season. So the Canucks are up against it. We're up against the clock, as we normally are. But stick around because I think this is going to be an interesting conversation, or at least I hope it is. Uh, Jeremy Colleton, the head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks, is going to join us next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Under three minutes to play. Here's Oman in front. Carlson between the legs. Scores! No, he didn't. Between the legs. Top shelf. Linus Carlson leads the American League in rookie scoring. Put it on the highlight reel. 7.31 on a Wednesday. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. It's hard to match the energy level from that call. It's impressive. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Uh, Jeremy Colleton, head coach of the AHL's Abbotsford Canucks, is going to join us in just a second here on the show. Hour two of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. As mentioned, joining us now, head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks, Jeremy Colleton here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Jeremy. How are you? Good morning, guys. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate you taking the time to do it. We wanted to start uh, big picture. I know it's kind of a big question, but if you could maybe give a snapshot or sum up how the season has gone to date. You guys are 33 games in. You're just about at the halfway point. You got 39 left. Uh, Record-wise, it's obviously been very good. Uh, 21 wins against just 10 losses, a near 700 win percentage. So I would suggest that it's gone positive, but maybe give me a little bit more than it's been good and we got a lot of wins. Sum up the season so far for us. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, in the American League, you, obviously you kind of start over um, every year. In you know training camp, you get basically a few days uh, to put your team together, and and then you're playing meaningful games, and uh, so it took us you know a few weeks to you know build build a team and and uh, you know just spend time with our, our mentality, and so we're a little bit up and down early, just finding consistency, um, some good games, some bad games, and, and the results match that, but I think. Uh, past that first month, we really started to build, and I think the players really, em- you know, embracing how we have to play to have success, both uh, individually and as a team, and and uh, really happy with how we played over. You know, I don't know how long it is, but it's been a couple months uh, where 
their performances have been really good and and uh, maybe the wins right away weren't there but the performance is really good and if you just stick with it like and i give our guys a lot of credit they have uh now we got some momentum and and the results are, are coming so really like how we're playing we're still building there's still room to grow we got a lot of young guys who i think they've developed a lot already but there's more there and uh it's pretty fun you mentioned that in the ahl a lot of the times you're, you're kind of starting fresh every season and that i imagine is just because of all the roster turnover that occurs in in the ahl what are some other differences between being a head coach in the nhl versus the ahl well there's there's less uh spotlight you know less media attention less day-to-day pressure um so i think in a lot of ways for for players it's they can kind of it just allows them to focus more on on their individual development and learning how to play and i think that's positive at the same time uh, we almost are trying to create some pressure you know to play a certain way because the, the thing is when they when they get to the NHL they're expected to just like a switch and uh, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you know every little situation is so magnified and and there's nowhere to hide so um, you know I think that's that's a difference and obviously the age of the players I mean it's the NHL is a younger league probably than it ever has been but it's still a big difference uh, you got a lot of first second year third year pros that were working with and uh that just comes with there's a lot of you know it's just different so um but i enjoy it it's fun where do you spend most of your coaching energy is it you know stuff like watching tape and breaking down games is it meeting with players um where do you like and 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 i'm kind of trying to get you to ask about maybe how you differ from other coaches or what you're all about where do you like to spend most of your coaching energy? What do you think is most important? Yeah, probably it's it's going through clips, or you know, going through the games, trying to find um, teaching tools. Right, the best way to for and I think players are more visual now than ever. They want to see it, and so we're trying to find situations positively and negatively that we can show them to reinforce what we're trying to teach and, and and so and then doing the actual teaching so whether it's team video i mean usually it's if we do team video it's eight to ten minutes uh and and so that's an important time where you have the whole team's attention and we're trying to to highlight uh things that we feel lead to success and and you know team winning individual success and then individually meeting with guys or sometimes you meet with a line going through situations. Uh, I think that's, that's how they learn. And obviously when you do that, your relationship with the players, uh, it it grows and and obviously you need to show them you can help. You need to show them that you know what you're doing and, and you can make them better. And if, if you can do that, then usually they're all in. I'm not going to get ask you to get into specifics of what you're working on with with this player or that player, but right. what are some things like when you're? I'm very curious about this because this is something that um, hockey fans don't get to participate. They don't get to participate in these video sessions, in these one on ones, or these team video sessions. Like, what's something that you find yourself harping on a lot? Like saying, 
guys, we need to remember to do this. This is very important. If we don't do this, we won't have success. Yeah. Well, I think probably something that I, you know, we talk about a lot here is just the reaction when the puck turns over, um, offensively and defensively, um, you you have a puck a lot, right. In the game. And it's a bit of a coaching cliche, but, uh, most of the game you play, you don't have the puck. So, you know, do you, are you willing to skate when you don't have it uh, to either get it back or to give it your teammates an option to advance it? Uh, so that's that's a lot of the situations that we talk about and then we show and how that reaction, that two, three seconds after the puck changes possession, both, both directions, uh, has such an impact on the game. And uh, sometimes, like I think, Today, like I'm, I'm not sure players watch as much um, actual hockey, like the full game. Yeah, that's they, interesting. They used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's more, you know, they're watching highlights or else the game's on. They may have the game on, but they're on their phone or whatever, and then they look up when something interesting happens, when the, <laughs> the, the commentator raises their voice. And so you end up missing a lot of, of actually how hockey works. And so what we try to do is show the little things that add up to the, the highlight. And uh, I think that's, that's important. What adjustments have coaches had to make as more and more goals are going in nets and we're regularly <laughs> seeing games with 10 or more goals being scored? It feels like the 80s out there sometimes. And I'm wondering if there's – like, do you, do you have to go like, okay, there's more goals being scored, so we need to find a way – to keep up with the goal scoring or do right. you say there's more and more goals being scored? So we need to find a way to stop these goals being scored. Well, I think it's both. And, uh, the game has, it is different now, even than probably 10 years ago, as far as, uh, you know, how many, how much offense there is. And I think part of it's the skill for sure. Like everyone, everyone is skilled. Everyone can make plays. Everyone can shoot the puck. Um, so those, the situations that maybe if, you know, depending on what line you had on the ice, uh, maybe it wouldn't be a chance. Now it's a chance. And so, you know, pucks go in the net. But uh, I think that's part of how you sell that play away from the puck is, hey, if you do this away from the puck or when you don't have it, then you're going to get a chance to create offense. And so, you know, that's, I think they go hand in hand. I think, you know, the, the offense is it's part of the game for now, so you guys got to embrace it. We're speaking to Jeremy Colleton here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Jeremy, of course, is the head coach of the Canucks AHL affiliate in Abbotsford. Uh, prior to this, Jeremy, you, of course, were the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. And at the time of your hire, you were 33 years old. That's remarkably young. You were the youngest active head coach in the NHL. You were also taking over from an icon in coaching in Joel Quenville, who was extremely experienced and had won multiple Stanley Cups. So not only were you the youngest head coach in the league at the time, you were taking over from a pretty established guy. Uh, you're 37 now. So if 37-year-old Jeremy Colleton could go back <laughs> and offer some advice to 33-year-old Jeremy Colleton. You're well, such an old man now. Yeah. So you got all that <laughs> with, wisdom. <laughs> with those four years of experience in the books, <laughs> what would you say to 33-year-old Jeremy Colleton who's first day on the job in Chicago? Buckle up. Yeah. Fair, yeah. Fair. <laughs> I mean, that must have been such a challenge with not only having the job – 
of being the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks, but with everything that happened with the Blackhawks afterwards while yeah. you were still there. Well, I mean, when you reflect on, on those days that you spent in Chicago, I mean, I guess the, the most positive thing you can do is probably say, I learned a few things. What did you learn? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's hard to, you know, it was a lot, a lot that went on. Yes. Obviously it, it's hard to sum it up in a one minute answer, but I, I did gain a lot of experience. And, uh, you know, the, I, I knew it was going to be hard. I understood it was going to be challenge and, and following Q. I mean, you know, his, his track record speaks for itself and, and also like how popular he was like, yeah, within, within the city and, and everything, but also among the players, like players love playing for him, you know? So to follow that is hard. Like, where do you go? You know? Uh, and especially when you don't have the experience uh, to kind of hold you. like, Hey guys, I, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, that's uh, right. It, it made it, made it hard, but then I didn't probably realize how hard it was going to be at the, at the time. But um, now that experience, uh, there's not too many situations that are going to come up in the future <laughs> that will feel more challenging. Like I stuff that comes up that you know, maybe, Ten years ago, I would have felt like, "Wow, this is this is a little bit of a pickle here." It's not uh, it's not going to face me. I don't think, you know, which is great. It's a, it's great to have that experience in your back pocket. Let's get back to the team you're coaching right now. If there was a guy on your team that you could single out in a good way this season, so this is your chance to, right. I don't know, curry favor with at least one of your players while making <laughs> while making while making the other players extremely jealous. Yeah. Um, who would that be? Who would you like to give um, some thumbs up to? Yeah, well, I'm I'm not going to give you one. I'll give you a couple. Uh, hopefully, you have time. So I think like we have a really good leadership group here. Uh, you know, pros who've been around for a couple of years, who've been here, who they've really done a good job. And so, you know, like our you got uh, you know Waters and Jolson and and uh, Stevens and you know those guys. I think Breeze was a guy who's on the radar as far as how he plays, but he's an excellent player. Uh, he's probably been our best defenseman this year, and uh, you know, very solid. plays a plays a controlled game. He's, he's big, physical. He can skate. He's got a great stick. Uh, he doesn't play power play, but he plays a ton. Of the other situations and really. He helps the guys he's on the ice with. He's been a huge part of our success. You know, when we we had it, we missed him for a couple games this through this year, and you really notice when he's not there. Um, and then, you know, I think Willan's had an excellent year. Obviously, you know, he's 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 our leading scorer. I think he's you know top five in scoring the whole league, playing playing power play and producing offensively. But I think he's re, he's improved away from the puck as well. Just understanding that you got to box out. You got to, you got to be aware of positioning. I uh, started to kill penalties for us. Um, so he's an older, a little bit of an older pro. He's not that old, but he's, he's done a good job of, you know, showing that he, he can potentially play at a higher level at some point. And he's really helped us. And then the young guy, we got a lot of young guys who played very well, right? Uh, probably the one I highlight is Pat Colson. I think, uh, you know, he's, he's been here for a few weeks and uh, just, his confidence with the puck and he's so strong on it, mm-hmm. protects it so well. And we've been, you know, talking to him a lot about like skate, skate, skate with and without the puck. Like 
when he gets going, he's a very good skater. Like mm-hmm. he's a strong skater, but sometimes he's, he's thinking so much about doing the right thing that he, he doesn't move. And uh, he's got to trust himself that he's going to make the right decision because he's got really good instincts. Uh, but he's got to have those instincts while he's skating. And when he's when he's driving deep and driving the nets, he's really hard to play against. And uh, he's he's really really like the way he's going. I think he's got more there, which is uh, you love working with players like. Was there when 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 Nils Hoglander and and, and Pod Coles and came back came down to Abbotsford and, and I guess I'll I'll include Jack Rathbone coming back to yeah. coming back to Abbotsford did they need what did they need you to do in order to I don't know it did they need their confidence to be built back up again were they were they down on themselves after you know not being able to stick in the NHL yeah I think that's all like no one likes being sent down like that's it's tough right it's uh you want to be in the NHL, that's what you dreamed of doing, and then you're there, and you're there for not a couple of days, but, you know, whether it's weeks or years, you know, in some guys' cases, like, it's, it's hard mentally. But, uh, and I think the temptation sometimes is to come down and feel like you got to show that you're the best player on the ice every touch the puck, and that's not realistic. Uh, you're going to have in a game, maybe have 18 shifts. You're going to have probably three or four shifts where you're outstanding. And the problem is if you're chasing another one, uh, you know, the rest of your shifts, then you're going to end up with four or five shifts where you're not very good and you're hurting the team. Mm-hmm. And I would prefer that you have, you know, maybe nine or 10 boring shifts and then five or six excellent ones. And then maybe have one or two that, you know, you like to be better then you've built a good game. And sometimes I think young guys who come, they, they, they want to like win the game on one shift and that's not how it works. And so, you know, I think, you know, that's one thing we've been helping with. Hopefully it's like, Hey, just do your job, work away from the puck, make good decisions, make team decisions. And then you're, you're going to have your chance to impact the game. And I think, you know, they're all kind of embracing that. You mentioned that you got a young team, and Klimovich is obviously the youngest. He's still—is he still nineteen? Is he twenty yet? He's probably. I think he just turned twenty. Oh, happy birthday! Yeah, <laughs> Klimovich. Um, what have you seen from him this season? Has there been significant improvement? Yeah, there has, and uh, that's it's pretty fun to watch. Honestly, it's. Uh, you know, I thought his first, you know, stretch of the season uh, was tough. Like it's, he's still learning how to be a pro and how to, again, like you, you can't like just, you touch the puck, you're probably not going to be able to go to end to end and, and score. And, um, I think a lot of guys make, you know, it's that, it's that adjustment when you get into pro, like, these are good players and, uh, you got to just find a way to advance the puck and, and get it in and get on the four check. And uh, when you don't have it, you got to be willing to skate and, and work to, to help get it back. And I think his work ethic and his, um, his, I guess his busyness away from the puck has improved so much. How he changes, how he forechecks, how he manages it is, is way better. And when he, when he does that, then I can play him. And when he's on the ice and, you know, we have the puck or in the offensive zone, he's got some qualities that, that allow him to produce. I mean, he scored a goal in Manitoba, which was, I mean, it was NHL. Uh, drove wide, cut in, 
and just it was a bomb wrist shot in stride put it through the goalie like those moments are pretty tantalizing it's just uh you know again he's still a kid and we we're still working on finding that consistency you know understanding when the game's on the line that it's it's life or death to win this puck battle to advance it um we're still getting there um, we're kind of up against it for time. I did want to ask one more. I actually wanted to ask you a bunch of stuff about how you got to this point at the age of 37, because it's a pretty remarkable story. But, uh, for the listeners that don't know, you were a fairly high draft pick. You played defense. You were with the Islanders organization. Uh, there were co- post concussion, concussion issues. And then right after your playing career was done, you moved right into coaching, which is why at 37, you've got the kind of experience that you do. My question was, did you always know that you wanted to be a coach or that coaching was going to be the next step or did that kind of happen organically? Yeah, I think I, I mean, I planned honestly to still be playing at this age. Um, that was my plan, you know, and I would, didn't have the career that I wanted to as a player, uh, you know, based on how I was as a junior and, and, uh, you know, it just didn't work out through injuries and, you know, there's a bunch of reasons why, but, um, I think ultimately as it looked like I was having trouble, uh, with, with my head and, and being able to play, uh, obviously I started thinking about, you know, the next step and I wasn't really ready to be done, uh, with hockey. And I, I wanted to still contribute and I wanted to you know you love there's nothing better than winning it's the best it's the best thing being part of the team and winning and if you can't play probably the next best thing is coaching so uh, I'd always paid attention you know to to what coaches were doing and and uh, so I feel like I had I had you know try to take something from every coach that I had through my career and then uh, I, was, I was really lucky to get an opportunity right away uh, with my club in, in Sweden and uh, was you know put in a position to succeed and um, you know it's obviously gone pretty well and um, pretty I'm thankful for for being here now. Uh, two things: one, he was a center, not yeah. a defenseman. Yeah. I don't know. Yes, sir. Well, sorry, he was, yeah, a, he was a good he was good defensively. Though. You were a good defensive <laughs> center. There, that's what I <laughs> yeah. meant to say. Of course, I, I, I played D in Bantam. Okay, there. Yeah, see, I knew. See? I knew. Yeah. I knew. Yeah. And, and two, I've, we've done such diligent research. We have found out that Friday's your birthday. So happy birthday. Happy 38th. Oh, Friday the 13th birthday. Happy, That's good luck. Yeah. I'm sure everything will go swimmingly. Happy, you're the ripe old age of 38 on Friday. So in advance of that, Jeremy, from the Halford and Bruff Show, happy birthday. I hope the season continues to go well. Thank you very much for doing this today. This was awesome. And good luck on Friday and beyond. Thank you. Have a good one, guys. YouTube, thanks. That's Jeremy Collett, the head coach of the AHL's Abbotsford Canucks here on the Halford and Brefster on Sportsnet 650. The only the reason that I was like asking about his backstory is mm-hmm. again, I, I hate to harken back to the time that we worked at NBC, but well, tell us about your Winnipeg radio hit again. It was so good. <laughs> it was so much fun. Gentlemen, I don't know if you know this, but I was on Winnipeg Radio the other day. I don't want to like name the weirdest flex ever. Yeah. I don't like, want to name guys, drop, but uh, there's a Winnipeg radio, radio called me up. A radio station in Winnipeg. They finally got an airport. and They wanted to talk. Well, about they don't it. have TV there, so it's a big deal when you're All on right. the radio. We regroup, talked about regroup. We what? talked about indoor plumbing and yeah. how cool it is. Um, no, it, w- the Blackhawks were. I mean, how many? How much did we cover the Blackhawks when we were there? They oh, were. They were. There. We were there at the zenith yeah. of Blackhawks like mania, mm-hmm. and then NBC was like diving in head first. So like every outdoor game must include the Blackhawks. Yeah. Every nationally televised game should be in Chicago. So anyway, uh, when Quenville got fired, it was huge, huge because he was, um, he was beloved. 
Do you remember when he did the ski shot in was he at the, was it at the Winter Classic and he was just kind of tooling around? I think he was. I don't even think he was participating at this point, but he was beloved, right? Like they mm-hmm. loved Coach Q, they loved the mustache. He was he went beyond hockey because in Chicago at that time the Blackhawks were it. Yeah, right. Like it was not. Cubs or White Sox. There was not Bulls. It was definitely not the Bears. Like yep. it was the black. They were the thing. And I remember that a lot of people thought that Colton was going to come in and he was going to be the young, hot shot, next great thing head coach. Yeah. And they were going to get back to relevance. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone really anticipated that they were going to, that was going to become the, the start of the decline. I remember the thing, well, the reason that Quenville got fired was because the, the message got stale and they needed someone to yeah. boost life into this team. And they were going to bring the exact opposite of Quenville, the youngest head coach, 33 years old, mm-hmm. when he took that job. And then it just And all I believe he was clapped. fired fairly early in the season. Like it might have been November or something along those Q. lines. Q. Yeah, 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 he was. Yeah. Uh, so thank you to Jeremy Carlton for joining us. I thought that was a really interesting yep. interview. Um, I'd like to discuss it a little bit more. Maybe we can discuss it after we talk to Murph at uh, 8 o'clock. Well, in just about six or seven minutes, uh, the Canucks are continuing this very tough road trip, and it has not started out well. It has started with two losses, one in Winnipeg and the other in Pittsburgh. Now they got to go through this gauntlet of three games in four nights, Tampa Bay, Florida, and Carolina. Uh, we'll talk to Murph about the team. And what he's seeing from this team right now, we might distract ourselves with a little bit of Seahawks talk because we know Murph is a big Seahawks fan. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.